Good morning again. If you have your Bibles with you, and I pray that you do, I invite you to turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6, the text that we just sang together as probably one of my favorite songs that we do here regularly at Mount Zion. I'm thankful for the opportunity to just sing scripture like that. Um, this week, as you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of introduction, especially if you weren't with us last week. This is our second week in a short series that we're doing, looking at the purpose of the New Testament church. This is something that I pray that we can become more familiar with. If somebody were to ask you, you know, what is the purpose of the New Testament church? What are some of the goals or the function or the role of the church? And when I say the church, I don't mean the building, right? I don't mean in some institutional way. I mean us as a gathered body of believers that have covenanted together, that are members of one another, that are brothers and sisters through our mutual faith in Jesus Christ. What, what is the purpose in that? And us gathering and us being together. Is it just so that we can come and be pepped up a little bit on Sunday so that we can make it through the week to the next Sunday. Is that the purpose? I know at times in my life I felt like that was the purpose of church, to go. And, and if you need that week just a little bit more of a pick-me-up, you could even go on Wednesday, right? And some people are like, that's just like an extra little boost. Is it just to make ourselves feel better because we can say that we went to church on Sunday? What I don't think so. Why, why do local church bodies exist scripturally? And so the categories that I'm giving for this that I pray help us wrap our mind around it, these are distinct categories, but they're also very broad categories. And we'll talk about that. But the three reasons that we are laying out in this series is that we, first of all, we exist to worship God. And let me go and address that. Some people weren't as excited about the WEN series, W-E-N. They said, maybe we should call it new. But let me just go and address it for all of us. This is the reason that I call it the WEN series is because I believe worship has to come first. For us as individuals, for us as a church body, that our evangelism that we'll see in a moment, our nurturing, everything we do has to flow out of our awe and praise and worship of God. And so that's why that is first. It is for that distinct purpose. But I believe we exist as individuals and as a body to worship and bring glory to God, to serve Him. The second reason is that we exist to evangelize the lost, right? To fulfill the Great Commission, to serve as Christ's witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. That we share the gospel, that we take part in mission work, that we make sure that all people, we do the best that we can to make sure that all people have access to the gospel. And then the third reason is that we exist to nurture one another. Right? We're told that we each have spiritual gifts. We're given those gifts. Why? For the good of the body. To build up one another. To strengthen one another. We're supposed to disciple one another. And to teach one another. And help hold each other accountable. And to pray for one another. All of these things fall under nurturing. So again, these are broad categories. But I do believe that if we as a body are focused on worshiping God, evangelizing the lost, and nurturing one another that we will be doing things that we are called to do in Scripture. 
So we looked at worship kind of from an individual standpoint last week. We saw that worship is comprehensive. It includes all we say and all we do and all we think. All of those things should be done for the glory of God. But we also gather corporately like this each week to worship. And so today I want us to think a little bit about this. Now, this Wednesday I am going to address the specific elements that we think should be part of a corporate worship service. Scripturally, why, why, do, why is it important that we read Scripture when we're together? Why is it important that we sing songs? Some of us think, I'm not good at singing, I don't particularly like singing. Why do we have to sing every week? Right, why is it important that we always have preaching when we gather together? Why do we only do baptism and the Lord's Supper when we're together? Right? Why don't you just do baptism you know, on a Tuesday whenever it's more convenient for that family? Why do we do these things when we're gathered together? We're going to look at that Wednesday night. We're going to look at the scriptural basis for those things, things that the scripture tells us have to be part, that should be part of our gathered body, and we're going to see why we do those. So I know some of you say, well, I don't come on Wednesday nights. Let's be a great Wednesday night to start. You'd like to see that. You'd be interested in hearing that. Come join us Wednesday night. But here's what we're going to do today. We're going to look in Isaiah 6, and we're going to see worship. We're going to see God being worshipped. And as we look in this text, this is what I really want you to kind of focus your mind on. What is the focus of the worship that we see taking place here? What, what are the reasons that we see God being praised? And when I come here, or in my day life, when I'm worshiping God, are these the reasons? Is this the reason that I go to church? Is this the reason that I join and am part of a local body? It doesn't have anything to do with these things. Because I'm convinced that it should. So look with me in the text. Isaiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died... I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. All right, so here we see the prophet Isaiah speaking, right? That's who's saying this. Isaiah is being given a glimpse into the throne room of heaven. That's what's happening here. God is showing him what things look like, where God is in heaven at this time. And and as he looks in this clear vision, this is very similar to the book of Revelation. I know a lot of you may be more familiar with that. So the book of Revelation, John is being shown what things are going to look like, right? He's seeing a picture of that, he's seeing a glimpse of that. That's in essence what we see here. God is giving the prophet Isaiah a look into heaven. And the first thing that he describes for us. The, the thing that obviously grabs his attention most, the, the center of attention, is what he describes here. He gives us the timing of when this happened, and then he says, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And I want us to make that our first point this morning. God is the focus of our worship. Or at least I would say God should be the focus of our worship, if you want to put that. God is the main attraction. Whenever Isaiah gets this glimpse into heaven, and man, there are a lot of things going on here, right? We can really be attracted to these seraphim. What, what are seraphim like? These, these glowing, flying angels with six wings, and why do they cover their feet? And we can get, and then the beauty of the temple, and there being a throne there, and, and whenever the, 
The seraphim cry out how holy God is. The temple shakes and it's filled with smoke. There's a lot of things to hear, to be interested in here. But the first thing that Isaiah describes, the center of attention that all of this takes place around is God. When he looks, he sees God. And when you worship, I pray that this is the basis of your worship. It's not, and we can, we can be interested in all sorts of other things, right? There's probably, for most of the guys here, there's probably a time in your life that you went to church because there was a girl that you wanted to sit next to whenever you went to church. I see some of the grins, right? There were, there were probably times that you wanted to go to church for reasons other than to worship God. But I pray that whenever you're going to worship corporately, whenever you're making the decisions day in and day out about who you're going to follow, that the main reason that you're doing what you're doing is because God is worthy of our worship, because God is worthy of our service, because God is worthy of our lives. So here he, he describes that, right? He sees God. God is sitting upon a throne. That's not lost upon us, uh, that that. God is on the throne, that he is king and ruler over everything. Even the word itself, this is not capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Lord, which would be God's, that's the way that we see his name written, right? Yahweh, but this is a word that literally means a master or ruler. That's this word, it's used for God often in the Old Testament, but it, it reflects God's sovereignty, he is in charge of everything. He is the one that is sitting on the throne. He is the one that is exalted. Sometimes it looks like that's the throne that's high and lifted up. It's not describing the throne, it's describing God. He is above everything else in heaven and on earth and everywhere else. And even the robe, right? That sounds kind of strange, doesn't it? Why in the world does it talk about the train of his robe fills the temple? What in the world? We just sang it, and we sang it beautifully. But why are we singing about God's robe being so long that it fills the temple? Well, in this day and time, I read this this week. I'll just give you a quote from H.B. Charles. He said, a king's greatness would be displayed by the length of his robe. So the longer the robe, the greater the king. And you know what? God's is so long that it fills the entire temple, right? The whole, imagine this, a bride walks in here for a wedding. Y'all been in weddings here before. And so you're down here, I'm the, getting ready to preach, I'm standing here, and she walks in, and the music starts, and you all stand up. And she comes in, and they keep bringing in the robe. They keep bringing in the train. And then more attendance. And so much that I can't even see anybody in the congregation because it's filled up with this bride's train. Y'all would say, that bride is a little bit out of her mind. But when we say it about God, what we say is, this is reminding us how great He is. Right? This is a display of God's greatness. If a king's robe was ten foot, then he was great. Well, God fills the whole temple. Because he's that great. And I pray, brothers and sisters, I pray that this is the basis of our worship. Is the fact that God is the one that's above everything else. That he's the main attraction. We can get lost on lots of things. Sometimes... 
We say, I didn't really enjoy worship today. We, that's not a way to speak about worship. But we say, I didn't enjoy worship today because I didn't like the songs that we sang. That's not the attitude to have. You know, I heard a story one time. I don't believe it's true because I don't think, I don't know any preacher that's brazen enough to do it. But the story goes, there's this pastor and, and they got done with church and this lady came up to him after church and she said, Pastor, I didn't really like the songs that we sang today. And the pastor said, well, that's all right. We weren't singing them to you. I don't know. I'm not telling you I said it. I didn't say it. I heard a pastor say that he said that one time. Brothers and sisters, we don't, right? Brother Shane and I meet during the week, and we don't choose the music based off what we think somebody may like. We choose music based off what we think is going to praise and worship God, right? Don't walk out and say, well, I didn't really like the text that the pastor chose today. Brothers and sisters, that's God's Word. Every bit of it. Everything in the book is God's Word. And we treat it all that importantly, right? Maybe you didn't like the person that you sat next to today. Brothers and sisters, that's not what our worship is about. Our worship is about God. He is the main attraction. He is our focus, and so I pray that as we come, that the central figure in our worship is not what we like or what we want, but it's God that we love and worship and praise because He's God. And he deserves it. The text continues here in verse 2. It says, Above him, above God, there were these seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. These seraphim, these angels are flying around and they're calling this out or you might think that they're singing this over and over and we sang this today, right? We sang that God is holy. We sang that the whole earth is full of His glory. We sang these things. But really, and as interesting as the seraphim are, the thing I'm most interested in is what they are saying. What they are telling us about God as they're describing God here. And they say that He is holy, holy, holy. It's not a word that we use very much outside of church, right? Holy is a word that's like church language. And so sometimes we know it in church context, but if somebody said, what, what's the definition of holy? What does it mean for something to be holy? We may not be able to describe that. So let me give you a little bit of an, an illustration of this. At my grandmother's house growing up, she had these special plates. Now, I'm not sure why, thinking back, she had these plates, but she loved plates that had roosters on them. For some reason, my grandmother loved these rooster plates. And so you had the cabinets around the wall, and then on top of the cabinets, these rooster plates were set up with the little picture frame thing so that they were displayed so that you could see them. Now, here's one thing about the rooster plates. We didn't ever eat off of the rooster plates, right? We would get out the common plates the normal plates, and we would eat off of them. And I imagine she had, I know she had a china cabinet, so I imagine there was some china or some crystal or something like that in there. Miss Rebecca, that's right, put the crystal in the china cabinet. You didn't eat off of the crystal. You didn't eat off of the rooster plates. Those were set apart. Those were special. Those were above the rest of the common plates. And what you could say is, the rooster plates were holy, right? That's, that's the idea, something that is set apart, something that is higher than, something that is 
made to be and clearly and distinctly different from the common things. And so those plates were holy. And here we see that it's an attribute of God. That God is not common. That God is not normal. That God is not regular. No, God is holy. He is set apart from everything else. As the creator of everything else. The one that is more glorified than anything else. So much that his glory fills the entire earth. That's what we read about God here. What we hear these seraphim calling about God. And they don't cease to do this. These seraphim, this is what they do. And they say it three times. God is holy, holy, holy. Now the reason they do that is for emphasis. In Hebrew, in this culture, if you said something twice, it really emphasized. And we do that, don't we? We, we emphasize things this way. I thought of a couple things. You know, and I saw a spider the other day. How big? He was very very big. Right, you hear somebody say that, you say, oh, that's a big spider. I, Amanda cooked a good meal. You want to know how good it was? It was really, really good. Y'all get the point? Y'all see where this is going? Yesterday, I had a fight with a wasp that stung me. And then I killed him. You know how dead he was? He was dead, dead. Right? Y'all, we do this. We emphasize... And they did it too, more so, right? We say that, but it was more of a thing for them, is recognize that when somebody, if they said an attribute or something twice, everybody recognized, kind of, that's a huge deal. Well, this is the only time in the Hebrew Bible that the word, that an attribute is emphasized three times. You find it nowhere else for anything else, except that God is holy, holy, holy. And that was not lost on Isaiah. He recognized this and he said, this is a big, this is the only time we see this in scripture. The only attribute of God that is emphasized in this way. Above power and love and all these other things, we see holy, holy, holy. God is unlike anything else. God is completely set apart from everything. He is completely above everything. He is there's nothing else that we can even compare to him because he's that holy. And point two is this. We worship because God is holy. We worship God because he is holy, because he is. And I know it's hard because it loses some of its emphasis because we don't understand that word as much. But we worship God because he is higher than anything else. We worship God because there's nothing else like Him. I heard somebody ask one time, they asked, they said, Brother Zach, don't you think it's, it's pretty selfish for God to just want everybody to worship Him? I thought about it for a little bit, and my answer was, no, it's fitting because we point to God to be worshipped because God is greater than us. What could God point to? Nothing. There's nothing greater than Him. He understands it. He knows there's nothing more holy than He is. There's no one more powerful than He is. There's no one more understanding than He is. And so God is holy and we worship Him because of it. It makes it fitting that we would praise and worship and serve Him. There's one last reason that we see in this text that we worship God. I want you to look with me in verse 5. Isaiah says, 
And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Now, again, kind of like the robe filling temple. This, the language of this is lost a little bit, right? We read that and we say, what in the world is going on here? This man hears this and he says, Woe is me, for I am lost. What is he talking about? There's an angel with a hot coal that touches his mouth. What? But just hear this. If you don't hear the rest of it, let me give you the synopsis of what's taking part. We see a picture of atonement here. We see a picture of forgiveness. What Isaiah does is Isaiah here, as he sees these things and as he hears the praise and worship of God, as he gets a glimpse into the throne room of God and he sees the holiness of God, it immediately highlights how deficient and sinful he is. Now, again, I tried to think of a couple of examples to help help you understand this. And there have been times that I've done some of these things and some of them I've, I've daydreamed about. But if I, there have been times before whenever Brother Nick and I have played guitar together on the same Sunday. Y'all have seen that before. There have been times that I have been golfing with some of the brothers here from Mount Zion. There have been times in the past, a little bit past, not going to say how far, that I got up early in the morning and went and lifted weights with Adam and Hank and Seth and Brother Don I've done that. There have been invitations that I may go one day to go fishing with the Presleys, with Brother Irvin. And I parent day in and day out right next to Amanda. And here's what I want you to recognize. That every time that I do one of those, I recognize how bad I am at those things. Whenever I play guitar next to Nick, I realize how bad of a guitar player I am. And all of you do as well. I'm sorry. Right? Whenever I go fishing with folks that are good at fishing, when I go golfing with folks that are good at golfing, when I go lift weights with these brothers that are strong and good at lifting weights, whenever I parent next to Amanda, this is what I realize. Every time I do one of these things next to somebody that's really good at it, it highlights how deficient I am at doing these things. And that's what happens right here. Isaiah sees the throne room, and he sees God's holiness, and he says, Woe is me! How terrible of a person I am. It, it didn't make him sinful. He's no more sinful now than he was before he got here. But when he sees God, it highlights how sinful he is. And he says, there's no way that I can live through this. I'm going to die. And then we see this deal with the seraphim who only works at God's beckoning call. And the seraphim goes and gets his coal and touches it to his lips. And it's this picture of... Of God removing Isaiah's sins from him. Isaiah says because I'm so sinful. Because God is so holy. There's no way that I can live through this. And it's as if God says. Isaiah I know that you are sinful. And I know how sinful you are. Yet I'm going to remove your sins from you. And we see a beautiful picture of this. Not only in Isaiah's life. But in our lives as well. Don't we? 
Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's our woe is me. And, verse 24, And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation or as an atoning sacrifice by His blood to be received by faith, right? Again, we have all sinned, and when we recognize how amazing God is, we should be wrecked by our sin. It should make us say, woe is me, right? We should know how broken and needy and terrible and sinful and selfish and prideful we really are when we see how great God is. And what it does is it highlights our need for a Savior, which in turn points us to Jesus Christ. The redemption that we have. And this is the last point this morning. Point three. We worship because God is gracious. We worship God. He's what we worship. He's the only one that we worship. And in this text, we highlight that we worship God because He is holy. Because He is holy, holy, holy. We worship Him. And because He is gracious and merciful. And even though we deserve his wrath and punishment, we don't receive it. We've received forgiveness through faith in Jesus Christ for all of us that have believed in him. You know, as you go through the rest of this text, if you read the rest of the book of Isaiah, the 60 chapters that come after this, you see this. Isaiah starts here just after this and says, you know, God says, whom shall I send? And he says, send me. I'll go. And then you read the rest of the 60 chapters, and I'm convinced of this, that Isaiah saw God's holiness, and that Isaiah saw God's grace, and he never got over it for the rest of his life. Brothers and sisters, I pray that's your story. That you have seen, that you have recognized how amazing God is. That you have seen His forgiveness in Jesus. That you know that your sins are forgiven and that you have eternal life and that your condemnation is gone. And because of it, you never get over it. And every day of your life, you live to worship Him. And every Sunday, you get up and you want to come here and you want to be with these brothers and these sisters, not because it's something you have to do, not because it makes your mama happy whenever you're here, not because of any other reason than that God deserves it. He deserves it. That's the main reason that we come. We begin with worship. Now, our worship of God flows into us wanting to pour into one another which is part of our gathering together, right? Whenever I hear you sing, whenever I hear you pray and see you reading Scripture and seeing you sharing your lives with one another, that is good for me, that is good for my soul. These things are good for us. We share our gifts with one another because God has called us to as an act of worship. But I'm convinced that we have to start here with worship. So this morning, in just a moment, we're going to celebrate Christ's atoning death in our place. We're going to observe the Lord's Supper. Before we do that, I do want us to have a time of response to this specific text that we've seen. I want to invite you to stand. And this morning, as we prepare to respond, as, as before we come to the Lord's table, I don't know where you are or what you're dealing with. I don't know what, what specifically the Lord has um, highlighted in your life. I don't know, this morning maybe you recognize that you've been worshiping other things, worthless things, idols. 
Maybe this morning you're here and for the first time you recognize why God is worthy of your life. And you want to talk to somebody about accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. I would love to talk to you about that. Maybe you're here and you just want to pray where you are before we come to the Lord's table. Maybe you're here and you would like somebody to pray with you before we do that. I would love the opportunity to pray with you. But during this time, as we sing, think about the Lord's holiness. Think about his grace towards us. And think about his death in our place as we prepare our hearts for the Lord's Supper. If you would, continue to stand and think on these things as Brother Shane and the praise team come and lead us in time of response.